Well, good morning. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. Why don't we stand this morning as we get ready to worship our God? But I want to read a scripture to you out of Psalms, and it says this. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord that all who are discouraged take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. So this morning, regardless of where we're at, the God that we worship is the God who can take us through anything. And this morning, let's exalt his name together. So Father God, we come this morning and we say you are a good God. We say you are an amazing God. And Father, you take us through all things. And this morning, you are worthy of your praise. So let's worship him today. These are holy moments, not only when we ought to worship God, but where we have an opportunity to manifest his majesty on earth because there's something mystical that happens when we use our mouth and we begin to praise him. We begin to, to give him the glory due his name. It says in the Psalms that he inhabits the praises of his people. And he's looking for worshipers because he wants his majesty to be made known on the earth. And so he's looking for faith, honor-filled worship so that he can come and deposit a dimension of himself into that and fill the earth. So this morning, Lord, we say, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. We want to worship you. We want to give you the honor that's due your name. Day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. Lord, let the intersection between heaven and earth begin to manifest here. Let angels come. Let angels come. You know, there's an intercession in this because it says in Revelations, as the spirit and the bride say, come. You know, sometimes we think these things are empty. They're just sort of rituals, things we go through, but un they're not meaningful into, in terms of current events, in terms of circumstances in our life. But why would God ask you to do something that's meaningless? Why would he say, the spirit and the bride say, come, if there wasn't some effect when you say, come, Lord. So this song is saying, come, Lord. Come, Lord. We want a habitation to be built. We want you, God, to feel comfortable enough for your, a greater measure of your presence that you would come and rest in this place. Oh, God, come. Lift up your voice and just say, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, come and dwell. Come and bring a measure, a measure above anything we've ever seen before here in Spruce Grove on our lives. Come and sit on our lives. Come and sit on our shoulders, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, angels of heaven. And now we as the bride, we say, come. The bride says, come. Let's just tell him he's welcome. Just tell him, Lord, we want to have ears to hear. We want to be sensitive to your voice. We want to do what you say. We want to follow you. At all times, I will sing your praise. You know, it's so easy to say God is great and God is faithful when things are going your way. But can you say it? Can you say it with equal emotion, with equal conviction, with that same assurance? Can you say it 
when things aren't going. I mean, that's the time when it's actually most meaningful. You know, for Job, it was when things went diametrically opposed to the things he believed. All of a sudden, you know, circumstance after circumstance after circumstance are shifting against him. Even his wife said, curse God and die. But he, as, as hard as it was, he said, yet will I praise him. So we say, yet will we praise you. Yet will we praise you in the midst of the fire, in the lion's den, in the trials, in the circumstance. I will give you praise. Yet I will praise you always. Set your heart. So Lord, we want to say today that you are worthy of all praise. And we will be found amongst those who say God is good and God is great. God is good and God is great. We say in the name of Jesus to sickness and disease and the spirit of poverty and destruction and calamity. In the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming to the earth. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And his kingdom will be seen. And we won't have to say, know the Lord, because he will be known by the least to the greatest. So in Jesus' name, we break every curse. I break every curse. Come on, press in for a second. I break every curse. I break every word against you. I break every spiritual assignment. I break every heaviness. I break every doubt. I say in the name of Jesus that every witchcraft empowered, every witchcraft empowered curse that's coming against you to try and steal away your confidence, to bring uh, to bring devices that are destructive into your life, I say let them fall to the ground. Let them fall to the ground. 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 Let them fall to the ground. Let them fall to the ground. Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We're going to shift here right away, but I need to tell you this because it connects to something I said a few weeks ago, but I talked about geography. I talked about the fact that God is giving us an authority over regions to bring his presence down, that we are the ones that are crushing Satan. It's, uh, it's under our feet that God is crushing Satan. It's happening through the weapons of God, but it's under your feet, through your faith, through what your mouth declares. It's happening. But, uh, you know, there is this, uh, you think, well, I, I don't know if I can have enough, you know, of the presence of God to change my whole, uh, my whole city. I don't know if there's enough water flowing out of me, out of my faith. You know, it says in John 7, out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. And that, that river of living water, it's an actual substance that flows out of us when we worship. That's why the atmosphere changes. You feel that incremental shift in worship as we're pressing into God's presence. You become more aware of God because God becomes more, more substantial in the room. But you know what? Do you know you have a space, a personal space? around you? Do you know you have a personal space that you have authority over? You can fill that space with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord so that you can walk around. You ever seen those? I was watching this video the other day. These guys were in the bull ring with the bulls, but they had these big bubbles around them. And the bull would come and hit them, but, you know, marginal effect because they're surrounded in bubble wrap. Do you know that you can surround your life in bubble wrap, spiritual bubble wrap? That when you pray in the Spirit, when you worship God, you actually can change. The first level of the atmosphere that you change is for your own life. I discovered that as a young Christian. No matter what the circumstances happen, uh, frustrations, things not going, I just go into the prayer closet. I would worship. I would pray in tongues. And I remember I started discovering this moment when this shift took place. And whatever was ailing me, it, was, it just backed off. I thought, what is that? I want to live there. 
But I realized that I could fill up that space around me every day, every moment, and I could live in that little bubble of the kingdom of God. So God is giving us authority to change our region, to change our city, to change our, our county. But it starts as, can you change your own atmosphere? You know, sometimes we get it filled by somebody else laying hands on us, other people bringing us into worship like a team, other people preaching. But the object of God is to get you to the place where you can fill up your own space with the knowledge of God. And, you know, you can be like Batfink, right? My atmosphere is like a shield of steel. Some of you don't remember Batfink, do you? Who remembers Batfink? Yeah, cartoons. <laughs> anyway... Chris, come on. Batfink? I don't know what you're talking about. Batfink, wow. That sounds made up, doesn't it? You know, just, we're going to take the tithing offering, so ushers, you can get ready. But I want to read this again. We open the service up with this. So let's just read it one more time. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. That's how we started this morning. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord that all who are discouraged take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. That's what we did this morning. Let's give him a clap offering. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, ushers, why don't you come forward? This morning as I pray for... Our tithe and offering, I also want to pray for our community, and I want to pray for Sherry. Uh, her mom's sick, and I know she's gone to visit her today, Sherry Mitchell, and we just want to pray the peace of God upon her and to bring healing to that situation. So let's just pray. Father God, we thank you so much that today we can come into this church and we can worship you, we can call on your name, God, and we can do this freely. And Father, we give you glory for just giving us this opportunity. And Father, this morning we want to lift up our community to you, God. Father, right now there are thousands upon thousands of people with no hope sitting in their homes, not sure which direction to take, God. Father, today we lift them up and we say, Holy Spirit, begin to speak to them right now. Speak to them right now. And Father God, we pray for massive salvations to take place in this community. Father, we pray that every church would double in attendance in the next year, God. Father, we just pray a blessing on this community. We pray a blessing on our neighbors, on all these churches around us, God. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you move in this community? We cry for that, God. But, Father, we pray peace and we pray healing in Jesus' name. And, Father, for anybody else in this house today, God, who are sitting here with something going on in their heart, with something that needs healing, maybe it's a financial breakthrough they need, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus right now. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just begin to come through in these areas. And Father, this morning we pray for this tithe. We pray for this offering. We give it to you with joy in our heart because you are a faithful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that sets us free. Thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the gospel. And how uh, you said that faith is coming through the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, the foolishness of preaching. So, Lord, we say, let the foolishness of the preaching, the declared truth of God, be the instrument through which the world is changed. Through which we're changed today. God, I pray in Jesus' name. We, uh, we say for ourselves, and say this for yourself. We say for ourselves, Lord, your Word is going to change me today. You send your word and heal them. So, Lord, we receive that word that changes us in Jesus' name. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, uh, and that has nothing to do with what I'm going to share today. But Paul says, through the foolishness of preaching. You know, I was thinking the other day about people who aren't saved, who are, who are thinking about this. They think, what makes, what makes the idea of the preached gospel, of you know, somebody standing up and saying things, why is that the key central issue of how the gospel is increased in the earth? I mean, you think of it, of all the ways, he, Paul says, through the foolishness of preaching. It just doesn't even make sense. You know, it's like that that is the key sort of place where the interface between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, where the kingdom of light increases, is through preaching. 
through the simplicity of somebody standing up and saying, this is true. Not proving, not through the proof, not through information, not through data, not through statistics, but through simply the, the, the simplicity of preaching. The declared truth. Because that is one of the essential fabrics of the universe. You know what the essential fabric of the universe is? Sound. When God created the universe, he, what? Spoke. He spoke. He spoke everything into being. He spoke the universe. He spoke the sun, the constellations, all matter, energy, light. He spoke those things into being. So it makes sense then that fundamental changes to those same things would happen through what? You got to touch the, the core building block of creation. So preaching touches the core building block of creation. Isn't that cool? That's, well, it, it's, it's uh, foolishness to those who don't understand, right? Those who don't understand that what is seen is made up of what is not seen, and what is not seen is essentially vibrating string, perhaps, sound, frequencies. That's why, you know, anyway, I don't want to get into that. It's a whole other message, but I love that stuff, right? So, Father, in Jesus' name, may we have confidence today that we're not just filling time. We're not just treading water this morning. That there is a truth that will change us, not only spiritually, but perhaps molecularly in terms of, uh, of something shifting that needs to be shifted in our, in our DNA, in our body, in our livers, in our, in our lungs. Lord, I pray today that in this atmosphere, God, that, uh, that sickness will be stopped in its tracks, that genetic uh, historical disease will be halted. Lord, that's what we're looking for. God, even Israel, they walked in a bubble of your presence such that they didn't even have a hemorrhoid. No one was barren. There was no sickness. Their shoes didn't even wear out. The normal physical laws of wear and tear, the laws of thermodynamics were suspended while you were in the midst of them. So, Lord, this is what we are looking for, that you are in the midst of us. You know, that and, and, and we join creation who is also looking for this thing. Amen. If you don't know what that scripture is, it's in Romans 8. It says the creation is looking to be brought into the freedom. It got a taste. When Israel walked through the wilderness, they're saying, hey, hey, you guys aren't subject to the normal laws of wear and tear. You know, the, the transference of energy from a higher level to a lower level is not happening in your sandals. It's like, what's that? We want some of that. Creation said, we want some of that. And so they're longing. Creation itself is longing for the freedom that you have. And that freedom, we're just starting to realize what it, what it, what's in it. It is transformation. It's a, uh, eternal life, sustenance, strength, vitality, uh, healing, wholeness, everything that's good and right and true. Amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, on Friday, uh, I was thinking of talking about some things. I think about this all the time. What should I be talking about on Sunday? And uh, so I want to say a couple of things. Uh, I was talking with Lauren Jesperson. Lauren was saying, man, I love the way nothing you say one week is ever connected to what you say the next week. <laughs> well, he, he actually didn't say that. <laughs> he said, I love how it's not predictable, and how it's different. And even the angle that you take is different. And so he was saying good things about it. But I, I was thinking about that kind of thing the day before, the week before, because, you know, I think sometimes we take this intellectual approach to learning, and the kingdom of God doesn't always take that track. You know, God is, you know, sometimes you're maybe a new Christian or a new believer, or you're not a believer at all, and you come in here and you think, what is going on here? And you think, I can't make heads or tail of what they're doing or what it's all about. And, uh, you know, I wish somebody would sort of give me a systematic breakdown of everything. Well, we're not getting a systematic breakdown of everything. But we are learning the kingdom of God and navigation in the kingdom of God the way you learn a new city that you move into. Now, how do you learn a new city? Okay, you get in there. And the, the basic way you learn is by... 
Exploring, yeah, you drive between A and B if you have the courage to drive, right? Between point A and point B, and you, you know, now it's so easy to get your Google Maps out, but let's say before Google Maps, right, you actually, you took a, you, you know, how do I get here? And somebody told you, well, you go down 16th Avenue, you turn right at 42nd, and da, 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 da. So you follow that path, and then the next week you had to go somewhere else, right? You might go to that same place, but you might have to go somewhere else. So you cross another way, and then you, you cross that 16th Avenue that you crossed before, and you saw that Dornier shop in the corner, you say, hey, I know where we are, we're at that, you know, because before I went this way across there. So you do that, this, and then the week after, and this, and that way, and then this way, and this way, and this way, and eventually it starts to settle in. You start to get a grid of what this should look like. Now, in preparation, you might look at, you know, find out what are the major lines to this thing? What are the, what's the freeway? What's the, you know, is there a periphery kind of a road that goes around? No. <laughs> no. Well, there is now. Just kidding. But, you know, you might learn those basic things. But ultimately, it's traveling the city that makes you know the city. And in the kingdom of God... Something is being added to you each time you, you enter through worship, each time you hear some things and some verses. And it, but it's the accruing of experience and knowledge that causes you to know the city. And, and, uh, and that's how, that's how we're, we're training people here. So uh, if, if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. But that's the way we learn in the kingdom. Now... I want to share the, about this thing. I, I had this sort of revelation on Friday morning when I was in prayer. And, and I it started with this. And I, I'm going to introduce this idea. Where, where is your name in God's book? Where is your name in God's book? Do you know that God has a book? I want you to listen here. I'm going to read Psalm 139, verses 12 to 18. It says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. I want you to think about that. God, the creator, saw your substance while you were yet unformed. He saw the essence of your being. He saw your DNA. He saw your structure. He saw, you know, like a visionary who gets an idea before anything is made. They see it. They just see it from beginning to end. God saw you, your substance, your gifts, your talents, your destinies. He saw everything about you. And, uh, and he knew you before you were formed. So your eyes saw my substance, yet being yet unformed. And listen, and in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts, O God. Anyway, so there's a book written about your days. And I just heard somebody speaking here this week, and he said, he said you know, we need to get our, our lives, we need to make it our, our job, our goal, to get our days to match up with what he's recorded in his days. To not always diverge from, you know, what he intends for me. Because God has an intention for you. And his intention for you is good. He's wanting positive life-fulfilling, purposeful things for your life. And he's saying, listen, there's a day and a pl plan and a pattern that I want you to walk in, so seek me for that. But I wasn't thinking along these lines when I saw these books, but I saw this dynamic of being known or being not known. And this is an issue today because when I look at the Internet and I look at the, you know, uh, they say that you can measure... Uh, how nihilistic you are, is that the right word? By how many selfies you take. Narcissistic, not nihilistic, narcissistic. You know, by how many selfies you take. That's not, don't think that's a science. Okay, I'm going to check yours. No. But, uh, 
you know, there, there is this pursuit of fame, right? You know, and we are made to be known on some level. But there's something aberrant about what's happening today where everybody wants fame. Everybody wants to be popular. And we're measuring, measuring significance through popularity. Now, this is happening to us not because it's a new phenomena, but that just the, the leverage that we have on the marketplace to make ourselves known has suddenly sort of jumped up a bunch through the Internet and through digital cameras and 4K cameras you can carry in your pocket. You know, suddenly we have the means to make ourselves known. But what I saw is I saw a known, a, a, a known world and an unknown world. I saw two blueprints. I saw one that the world follows, and I saw one that was made in heaven. I saw that there was this order, this... Let me, let me back up. In Jesus' day... If you were to go and talk to the leaders of the world that time about what's the most important thing that's happening in the world, they would not have pointed to the backside of Israel, that God-forsaken land, and said, right over there in this place called Nazareth and Bethlehem and on the outskirts of Jerusalem. That's the most... No, they wouldn't have said that. What would they have said? It was Rome. Rome. Rome is where it's happening. Right? I mean, there was nothing of earthly significance happening in Israel at that time. Nobody wanted to be here who was a part of the Roman thing. Like, you came to Israel to, to pay your dues in order to get a better seat at the table in Rome. Right? That's what you did. So the eyes of the world were not on Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. But the eyes of heaven were on Bethlehem the day that Jesus was born. And the eyes of principalities and powers were on Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. The spirit world, the non-physical world was all oriented around one location while the whole world in all of its social systems, all of its ladder climbing, glory seeking you know, devices was focused on another part that was really quite insignificant to heaven. So, when God is recording the significance of events, when God is looking at what's important from a heavenly standpoint, are we looking at that one or are we looking at another one? I mean, this is, this is what God is trying to do. And I believe that God is trying to bring us into a faith that connects us with the unseen realm, with the unseen uh, book that God has about what's important and who's important and what, what's the pecking order of importance. And there is a pecking order. There are some that are greater and there's some that are not as great in the kingdom of heaven. And that should be given to you. Get used to that. It's, it's there in the Bible. I know that's, no, it's all equal. It's like heavenly communism. Let me tell you, communism is not equal either. There's always the haves and have-nots. But, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, it said one's given ten cities, another five, another one, right? You know, there's, some are going to shine like the, uh, uh, the morning star. You know, there's, there's, there's degrees of reward. There's degrees of authority. There's measures and metrons of influence that are both on earth and in heaven and in eternity. You know, we're not going to go up there with equal amounts of cream, cheese, and, and harps. Does anybody watch TV at all? I'm trying to speak in the language of the culture. Nobody hears me. You guys are so spiritual, you only know the word. That's great. It's amazing. I am talking to the right people, man. But here's, let me say this. The records of heaven are immaculate. That's what I felt the Lord say this morning. The records of heaven are immaculate. They are so detailed. They're beyond your imagination. Now, here's a couple of things that God keeps track of. Hair. Right? God keeps track of hair. <laughs> yeah. Some have more, some have less. But hair. All right? How about words? We're going to answer for every word. Every word is being recorded. You know, interesting because from a, from a uh, uh, technological standpoint, we're getting to the place with the, the level of capacity that they're, they're developing within computers to actually record everything, right? I mean, you know, so you think, well, I remember way back when this was, you know, just a dream, a pipe dream, right? People thought, wow, I don't know how God could do that, right? Well, even men are beginning to the place where they can do that, where they can record just, you know, unimaginable amounts of information, activity, your whole life, right? Everything you do. I mean, Google knows everywhere you go. You might even be listening to us right now. 
Google? And of course, deeds. Your deeds are being recorded. And I didn't want to focus too much, but the point is this, is that immaculate records are being kept. Now, that may have, you might have like, okay, if that's the shoe, you know, that you're wearing right now, then take that. But I was thinking on the other side, that everything you do, every selfless act, every time you, you uh, die to yourself, every time you give, every time you're kind, every time you make that inward choice, every little thing that's going on, uh, you know, God knows. And, and so there's, there's a level on which there is things going on that are seen from heaven and recognized and acknowledged from heaven, and it doesn't register at all on earth. Let me give you an example of that. Um, Acts chapter 10. Anybody know where that is? Acts chapter 10. Let me read it to you. It says this. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Weren't, weren't they all Italian? No. Actually, they come from all kinds of different countries. But anyway, a devout man and one who had feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius, an angel knows my name. And when he observed, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, he's a God-fearing man. But, you know, and, and of course he's in Israel. But Cornelius is not at the epicenter of what's happening in the church. Cornelius is not a prophet. He's not an apostle. I, I dare say none of the, the remaining 11 apostles or Paul knew this man, right? Knew about him or knew where he was. But here, here is the beauty. Listen, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life, what you think, who's acknowledging you and who's not acknowledging you. Don't, you know, maybe there are times when you say, don't they know who I am? Don't they know what I've done? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because... What we're looking for is not visibility on earth, but visibility from heaven. Yeah. Visibility from heaven. I'm going to talk about how, why that's so hard in a second. But heaven knew Cornelius. Heaven knew Cornelius. And two things came up before God. His giving? What? Yeah. His giving. God keeps a record how much you give. Not just the, you know, Revenue Canada. God knows what you give. And he knows the motive. He knows every thought. But here this man, not even spirit-filled, not even really born again yet. He was just a faithful man. And he prays, and something is going up to heaven and makes him known in heaven such that God sends an angel to this man. What, what's, why, what is all, uh, all this about? God is trying to change your orientation around what you see and what you don't see. You know, it says in Hebrews, it says, it says, by faith we know that that which is seen is made up of that which is not seen. And what faith is trying to do and God is trying to do in your life is cause you to realize is that the unseen realm is more important than the seen realm. And what faith does is it grows up in you. It causes the unseen realm to be more tangible than the seen realm. And which causes you, when it comes to moments, when you can value the one over the other to choose the most important one. I want to do what's, what's seen by God. Now, recently, God has been challenging me with these kinds of things. And, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to go on faith, and I consider myself to have some faith. But, you know, every once in a while I get surprised at how earthly I can still be. And it's like something happens and, and, I'm, and I, you know, this little, little thing rises up in me. And it's like, like, well, you know, I said that before anybody. 
Well, I, I was the one who wrote that. I, I was the one who told that guy that. I was the one that, you know, I was there when that happened. And, uh, you know, yeah, you don't have to tell me that. I was there when it happened. Really? Did you need to do that? Right? Because, Mark, you're, you're concerned with one record when you should be only concerned with the other record. And the fact that you are more concerned or even need to bring an emphasis on this one shows a lack of the other. Right? And this is what God is trying to bring us. Did you know that promotion comes from above? Do you know that promotion doesn't come from your boss? Do you know that, that everything that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning? James 1, 17. Every good gift comes from God. Oh, if only that guy, that important person could recognize. If only he could see, you know, God. And I remember, I remember, I've told you this before. I remember when I was trying to, you know, we're trying to build our ministry. And, of course, ministry, you think it's built on visibility, right? So you're thinking, thinking you know, uh, trying to get these guys to know me who could make some, open some doors or make some things happen. And it's like God in the background is going, I, I, I know people. I, uh, I could introduce you to people. I could open some doors. It's like, yeah, God, I'm trying to do what's really important here. Faith connects you with the invisible. Faith connects you with God, the just judge of all. Faith connects you with the one who truly promotes. Faith connects you to what gives you favor in the earth. And what happens is sometimes in our journey when we get frustrated that certain people are not recognizing. They're, I'm so mad because they don't know who I am. They're not putting any value or any importance on Maybe God is the one who's closing their eyes. Remember when the, uh, the woman who, whose son Elijah gave to her and then died. I think it was Elijah or Elisha. And then she came back and, and his, his servant was pushing her away. And, the, and Elijah, I think he was, said, said, hey, hey, let her come. You know, something going on here. And, and she comes and said, my son's died. You know, the one you, get, you prophesied. And Elijah had no clue. I, mean, I wonder if she was back in her prayer room thinking, oh, God, you know, why isn't Elijah here? I'm so mad. Elijah, your prophet, you know, he doesn't even bother. He says, what, does he not care? My son died. Right? Well, Elijah's not God. Elijah's not the one that promotes. Elijah's not the one that give, gave life. It was God leading Elijah to do that. So here, Elijah, and Elijah says very specifically, God has, has uh, I can't remember the, word, the wording, but he, he, he blinded me to it. He, he did not show it to me. It was covered. I didn't see it. There were seasons in my life where I thought, God, why isn't this person seeing me? And God says, yeah, because I don't want them to. Are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. Yes, no. Right? What if we could walk in the freedom of actual faith? What if we actually believed these things were true? You know, because I know we believe them academically, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of life, who we, what we fault and how we get upset at people and how we wish, well, you know, if there only was better communication in this church and in this world and if only that person had told this person, you know what, I trust God. I believe that God has the very best ability to communicate and if I have a need and nobody else is meaning it, God can send angels. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? God can send angels to your life. Wow. You can be known in heaven. That sounds very serious in here. Are you guys excited about this? This should be like, yeah, all right. You know, John the Baptist said in John uh, three twenty-seven, he said, A man can receive nothing unless it be given him from Above, Let's turn to that because it's very interesting what the context is. John 3, 27, I think is, is, is the right one. Okay, yeah, this is it. It says in verse 6, 26, it says, And they came to John, this is his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, that guy you baptized, remember we had that funky moment where you said something about doves? And, oh, we don't know what that was. Well, that guy whoever he is, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. What do you think's involved there? 
Was there any altruistic motives? That would, yeah, the right answer would be no. Are you guys listening to me? What do you think was on these guys' mind? We've hitched ourselves to your wagon, John, you know, and, and we thought this thing was really going somewhere. And, you know, this is God and this is heaven. And, and now this other guy's going over there and he's got more people following him than following us. And John's like, oh, oh obviously you guys don't really believe. You're, you're looking at the wrong chart. You're lo looking at an organizational chart of importance that's based on the visible world. What I want you to see is that there's an invisible chart based on the invisible world. And it starts with, do you even know who that guy is? Just the other, the other day I was at a, a meeting. It was kind of funny. It was, I mean, it's just a very innocent thing. But I was asked, I was given a, a place of somewhat honor and a seat. And somebody come up and, you know, said, uh, yeah, you know, this seat is reserved for somebody else. And, uh, and so are you guys just standing here because you happen to be standing here? And I said, oh, actually, no, it was reserved for me. And he said, Oh, and later on he apologized. Oh, I didn't know who you were. And I, and I said, that's all right. But it, and it didn't bother me. And it didn't bother me that, that you didn't know who I was. But, but the idea that, that we look around and we, we have this value system based on what we presently know. What if there are people that are amazing sitting right behind you right now? Don't turn around. What if there are people who are known in heaven? And, you know, we think, oh, I really want to get close to that guy or get close to that ministry, get close to this person. And God is saying, you know what? Right in your midst, there are people that can call down heaven. There are people like Cornelius. Oh, I'm going to get the apostles to lay hands on me. What about, well, how about Cornelius? Who's that? Well, he's the guy the angels come to. He has a memorial before God in heaven. God is concerned with that guy and sending angels to him. You want to get in that guy's orbit, man. In other words, there are people, we get so accustomed to what we know. You know, the, the system, the value system that's right in front of us. And what I've realized, and I remember when it first started to dawn on me, that I, 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 I was, it happened, there was a couple of things that happened, but I remember I went to a camp and I was speaking, and there was this couple there, and I looked at them. I remember when I looked at them and I thought, they are really funny looking. And they were funny looking because they were missionaries to the Apaches in, in, in Arizona. And, and they, they dressed really odd. But I remember I, I thought they're really funny looking, but I felt drawn to them. And I thought there's, there's something about them that I really like. And you know what the Lord did? He took the veil off of them and he showed me who they were. And they were beautiful. They were majestic. They were these servants of the Most High, serving in obscurity, away from the prying eyes, away from the denominations that I was familiar with and the streams that I was... They weren't, they weren't some well-known prophetic voice that you know, people would go to by the thousands to conference. They weren't on TVs. They, weren't, they didn't have a lot of money. Their ministry wasn't huge. It wasn't significant. But God was saying, listen, I want to bring you, Mark, into my value system. I want you to see people according to the blueprint of heaven. And this false system that causes you to be attracted to people because of the seeing of the eye or the pride of life or these things, I want to set you free from that. I want you to know that I am the just judge in heaven and that I have beautiful ones, majestic ones, excellent ones, glorious ones that are serving under me and nobody knows who they are. So by that token, God is asking us a lot of questions. Would you be willing to be that guy? Would you be willing to never be known, but have God send you on secret assignments all over the earth? I want you to go where, where suddenly money appears in your account, and he says, go to Moscow, go to this place, make this declaration, come home. Do you know there are people that do that? Do you know who they are? No. Do I know who they are? No. Do you think they're more important than others that you thought were special because they wore skinny jeans? Right? I mean, I'm just talking, right? The way we value, the way we assess, the way we, we put people in importance in our life. 
Yeah, wow, they sat me at this table with all these dumb people. I wanted to be with the important people. What if there are glorious ones walking in our midst that we could honor? The disciples of John the Baptist didn't even know who Jesus was. And they were ready to get into a turf war with Jesus because he was getting a little more attention than them. I see this happening all the time in the world of church. Well, you know, the more people go into that church and our church and our church is great and, and we should, you know, do something to diminish their, their, you know. No. A man can receive nothing unless it is given it from the Lord. It solves everything for us. It solves the envy. It solves the whole idea of, of you know, why don't I have a more important place in the visible church? Because God doesn't want you to have it, and if he needed you to have it for purposes that were heavenly, he would give that to you. But whether you have that or not, the relative importance to that is kind of meaningless. Faith sets you free from that stuff. Faith, have you ever been in a situation where you thought, you know, this guy who's my supervisor doesn't like me, and I don't think I'm ever going to get promoted. So what i got to do is make sure that when the boss boss is around, I impress him. So you're trying to impress the boss boss in order to, you know, get him to see who you are, you know, what talents you have, so you can get that role, that promotion, that increase in that, that system. And God is saying, listen, I am the boss 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 boss. Do you believe that? I mean, I know it's a little humbling because you realize, yeah, I guess I I don't really. What if the customers you get for your business could come from God? What if the reputation that you could get could come from God? What if the favor, what if you could stand up in a room and just walk in a room and suddenly have favor with people that you never met before? They look over and it's not, again, because of what you look like. Jesus, there was nothing about his appearance that drew people. There was his, he was not comely. Okay? He wasn't good looking. He didn't have, he didn't have a, a six pack. And if he did, you probably never saw it because he didn't run around naked, except on the cross, maybe. But the point is, he wasn't, people weren't attracted to him because of natural things. I used to, I used to want to be taller. Yeah. I used to want to have more hair. Oh, wait, no, no. I used to want to be taller. I thought, yeah, you know, if I was taller, you know, it'd be easier to get a wife. And, and it'd be easier to, you know, see over the, the walls and different places and reach things. But I, you know, I saw that you know, there's, there's something in the world. The world discriminates against shorter people. Right, Derek? Yes. yes. <laughs> the world discriminates against shorter people. And God says, I'm bigger than the world. I'm bigger than the world. What is it that you think has put you behind the eight ball? It's not that thing. That's what we're saying. Whatever you think is causing you to not have something you think you deserve or should have, it's not that thing. Can you feel the liberty of faith when you got access to the big man? When you got access to the one, you know, everybody, if you go to the manager at McDonald's or the assistant manager or some guy, you know, because your fries are cold, and you say, well, let me see the manager, right? Because he's going to get you what you want. Well, you have access to the guy at the top. Now, there's more to this than, than I can talk about right now, but there's a, a freedom and a liberty that God is bringing us to. When we were praying and talking about this on Friday morning, uh, somebody who should remain nameless said there's this great line in this DC Talk song. It says this. It says, The fame that once did cover me has been sentenced to the earth. I love that line. The fame that did once that once did cover me has been sentenced to the earth. In other words, there, there's an earthly fame. There's a finite flame, uh, fame. There's a, there's a visibility that seems to be important to some, but it's earthly and it's temporal and it's passing away. But there's a visibility that transcends that is greater, that you can tap into through faith. So the invisible 
is more important than the visible. I'm going to wrap this up right away. So many scriptures that tie into this, but uh, Matthew 6 is kind of a key for us because Matthew 6 plays into this. It plays into the overarching principle that God sees, that God is the just judge of all, that, that uh, a man, whatever one man has that you think you ought to have, God gave that to him. No, he lied. He stole. Yeah, but God could stop that, and he still let it happen. Bible says don't even resist an evil man. It says don't resist an evil man. Well, you got to look that up because some of you think, that's not the Bible. It totally is. It says don't resist an evil man. Don't try to take away what an evil man has. But we're, there are good people we're trying to take things away from because we think we deserve it better. See, there, there's this, where's, where's the warring going to stop when we actually believe that God can do things, that we can go to him in prayer, that there's authority for changing the earth through the administration of the kingdom of God through the heaven's courts and, and through prayer and through, through gaining favor with the just judge of all. And man, I can get a judgment. I know the judge. My cause is right and we're friends. Oh man. All right. Let's go to court. Look what it says. It says this. It says, uh, therefore, Actually, let me go back. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. What's he saying? He's, listen, faith will liberate you from that ladder-climbing need. And I remember it was so hard to make that leap when I was first starting in ministry, but I said, God, you got all these prophetic words, and I'm going to the nations and all these things, but, but nobody knows me. Come on. I'm trying to make myself known. A little help here. And, because why was that so frustrating? Because I didn't really believe. I thought my limited visibility is because I'm not out there enough. Right? Somebody said that about getting wives or husbands for their daughters. Well, how can I? It's not going to just drop one on the lawn. <laughs> Evidently, he can. Right? Talk to the Ardrons. Former Ardrons. <laughs> it says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, what is, what is in that verse? It's the tension. It's the pull. It's like faith. Faith enables you to do a good deed and not need anybody to know. Why? Because it believes that the one who really promotes and rewards has seen it. It's keeping impeccable records. I, can't, I cannot go unnoticed from that standpoint. But if I'm living in this world, like, yeah, I could throw in five and throw in 20. Right? This is talking about faith. It's talking about the fabric, the cornerstone of the kingdom of God. These are, you know, this is leading towards the Beatitudes and the, uh, the, our Father prayer. These are fundamental spiritual realities. He's saying, listen, what kingdom do you want to be under? What, what blueprint and organizational corporate chart are you most concerned about? The one in heaven or the one on earth? I'm in charge of the one in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. And their reward is that temporary little blip of importance, self-importance they feel when somebody says, oh yeah, he did that. Boom, it's gone. But what you do out of faith, in the context of believing... Only one person needs to see this. Does that mean you, I want to make sure nobody ever sees? That's not the point. It's, it's the motive of the heart. Because there was another point where they were, they were bringing money to the, the, the apostles' feet. And everybody knew who was doing it. So it wasn't like they set up a culture of you must hide everything. That's not what I'm talking about. It's talking about the motives of the heart. Faith frees you. Frees you from resenting people. Frees you from envying people. Frees you to, to grow in your communication with God's heavenly structure. 
Say, God, I trust your grace on me. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? This is the conviction right now in heaven that God sees. God that sees. God that sees. God sees. God sees. God sees you. Young people on your phones right now or something. Okay, turn up your shoes. I'm sure those are Bibles you're reading. God sees everything. God sees what you need. God sees your hurts. God sees when you're forgiving. God sees. God sees. So, Father, I pray that you would bring us into the full liberty of what it means to be sons of the king, intimately attached to a corporate heavenly blueprint that is unseen and unknown and unvalued in the earth. Father, we want to be your workers, your hands, your feet. Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if the worship team could come back and we're going to sing that song. And I just want you to take a moment to, to uh, huh, let some of these things settle. And uh, I don't know what song we're going to sing. I'm sure bon- Ben's already got a good one. But maybe you're here today and you've never... Ask, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. May you've never really understood that there is a seen world and an unseen world, and the only one that matters, the one that, not the only one, the one that really matters is the unseen world. But Jesus died on the cross in order to give you a connection to heaven, in order, in order to make you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, in order to make you a joint heir with his son, Jesus Christ, God did that. He sent his son, and Jesus died for that so that you can be a child of heaven, a child of God. And don't believe the lie that says, well, we're all children of God, because we're not. Jesus made that abundantly clear when he said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Hello? Oh, man. There's a spiritual, there's a doctrine of demons going around the earth and the earth. The unsaved are swallowed. We're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. But you can be transferred from one kingdom into another kingdom. And if you want to do that, while we're here worshiping, you come and stand right here. And we'll pray for you and you'll pray. We're going to show you how you could be one of those. Let's stand together right now. Let's worship this. If you want to come and do that, please come. Let's sing it one more time. going to close, but we're going to pray as we close. And I don't want you to feel bad if you realize that, oh man, I am I'm much more oriented around the wrong organizational chart than the right one. Because that's why God gives preaching the word. He brings the truth and you're changed by the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's... Uh, That's how faith is created. God speaks the truth. We absorb it, and faith is created, and something something in our heart shifts. So, Lord, we want our hearts to turn to you. We want our eyes to be upon you. We want to be men and women of true faith. So, Lord, make us servants of the Most High. Lord, thank you that you are increasing our capacity to focus on what's happening in heaven and affecting the earth, what's happening in heaven. Oh, our citizenship is in heaven, so Lord.
Continue your work. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So feel free to greet one another, visit, bless one another.